everyone. This is Ronnie with Everything Vive, and I have a special guest on the podcast today with me. It's Lucas Risotto. He's a developer of Where Thoughts Go, pro, the, the prologue. Yeah, welcome to the show. And I didn't know, um, you know, first of all, I, I want to thank you for, for taking the time to speak with me again. And uh, Where Thoughts Go, uh, tell me all about it, because it's something that, like, I, I know my own uh, take on, on, on what my emotions and experience was like uh, when I played it. But uh, for those out there that might not be familiar with, with, with what the game is all about, can you, can you explain what it is in kind of a short, brief way? Of course. So Where Thoughts Go is a social narrative set in a virtual world where people's thoughts are represented as these sleeping creatures. You can wake up these creatures to listen to the voice recordings that other players have left behind. And to progress through the narrative, you need to answer a number of increasingly more personal questions by giving birth to little creatures and leaving them behind for other players to find. So it's this very, very intimate narrative in which you get to explore the minds of strangers and you get to open up yourself as you go along. And then something interesting happens in the end <laughs> that um, makes you look back at everything, you know, with, with a new set of eyes. Yeah, no, I, as far as like what it took for you to kind of come up with the, the questions that you wanted to choose and because I know when I played it, yeah, I, I, when I turned it on, I wasn't realizing exactly how personal it was going to be. And so I, I know that I know you give players a warning at the beginning to make that the, the, the game is intended to be played, you know, in a, in a quiet, you know, kind of in a quiet environment. I, I think, you know, without kind of distractions, without people around you, that sort of thing. And I, I kind yeah. of took that, like, I was kind of like, okay, cool. Like next, next. And then as soon as the, the first question was posed, and I started listening to people, I all of a sudden realized, man, like, I should be doing this, like, really where I'm alone. Like, I felt so, uh, it, 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 it's such an intense kind of atmosphere that you've created in the game, and, and such a, like, a, a strong emotional response to these questions that um, it caught me off guard when I first played it. And it, I was immediately intrigued. Like as far as just, I could tell that this was going to go somewhere really special, um, but I, I, I wasn't I wasn't used to dealing with those sort of things in, in just a standard VR game. So, how did you how did how did you decide what what to kind of what how to pull some of these thoughts and emotions from people? So it's uh, originally we wanted to do five questions that are themed after different phases of life thematically. So it goes from childhood to youth to adulthood, late life, and eventually death. Um, spoilers. But <laughs> it's, it, it, so we wanted these questions to build up on the top of one another emotionally. So like each one's a little bit more intimate than the last. And we, I was thinking, like, how can we get a really good sense of an individual through, through five different questions? So I kind of like designed it after those things, but also whatever led to most interesting responses. There were some instances in which we would write a question and people's answers would be kind of samey or you know, very similar to one another. So we would change one or two words and the outcome would be completely different. And when it comes to the, the privacy aspect, being alone in the room is absolutely essential, as you've realized, mm -hmm. because when there's other people in the room, um, we, we feel 
legitimately threatened. It's, it's hard to open up with someone else watching. And even if you do do it, it becomes more of a performance mm -hmm. to that person rather than you acting in the way that you would if you were alone. So I guess trying to engineer that into the experience mm -hmm. of trying to get you know, a really legitimate interaction out of the player that would only come from pure isolation is really important, which is why we need you to be on number one, a VR headset, and number two, in a room with doors closed all by yourself. No, it's, I, yeah, I mean, it, it was one of those things, like, I, once I, once I realized what the game was going to be like, I immediately, like, okay, I'm going to have to play this later, and then I, I, I turned it off, I think I played something else, and then I waited till everyone was asleep, and I had complete privacy, and then continued on with my, with my journey through the game, because it's, yeah, it's one of those things, like, and I, I think, I think other people, once they get a chance to check it out, if, if they haven't already, uh, you quickly realize that it's a game that requires that sort of attention from you. It's not something that you can you can just play lightly. It's it really it takes all of your concentration and your to really get the full experience. I think. Yeah, and I really appreciate it that you actually you know played by the game's rules. No, of course. Like I said, I mean, yeah, it, I, and and the game I think does a great job of kind of setting that up for you because. I mean, you're listening to these really, I mean, you can tell that everyone else that have, that the, the other players that have played it before you are, are really putting their, their, their hearts and souls into their, to their answers. And so I think that also plays up, like, it, it, you said you want to avoid people providing performances. And, and I, I, I totally agree with that in terms of if, when you have people in the room, you know, you'll obviously only say things that you think are acceptable, but um, I, I did feel a sort of sense of pressure to take the experience seriously because I could tell that the people that were providing their stories to me were also taking it seriously. And so I think that, like, mm -hmm. that, that communal aspect of the game also lends itself to some of the seriousness too. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of psychological principles that the experience follows in that sense um, when it comes to, you know, uh, like really the behaviors of others kind of like set the stage for how we're going to behave. So it's really important that the first like 20 people that play the game are, you know, really, really taking it seriously and pouring their hearts out because that like sets the, sets up the behavior of the thousands of people that are going to go after them. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting little bit of, I guess, positive peer pressure mm -hmm. that works really well. And it, yeah, it's, it, it's the kind of thing that we can apply that's not just apply, you know, it doesn't apply just to where thoughts go, but it's those kinds of principles are things we can apply into social VR in general. And there's actually a tons of things I've learned when it comes to designing social VR. Um, I think you can, you can design experiences that literally make people better people, that make them kinder, more open, more friendly. I think where thoughts go is a manifestation of that. Um, but you know, one thing that I do wonder is like, how do you take those principles and you apply it into the new immersive internet, so mm. we can create a troll-free world <laughs> in the future? Yeah, along those lines, how do you keep um, people from uploading things into the game that might not be suitable for the the goals of uh, of your experience? So uh, 
I believe a lot in preemptive moderation. So where that goes, essentially, it's, it's, a, it's a world that's designed in such a way in which it, it you, you never feel compelled to troll because mm -hmm. the moment you start to listening to people, you see like the tone and how serious it is. Mm -hmm. That already on its own already, you know, already makes a, a bunch of trolls like not do what they thought they wanted to do because they're like, oh, okay, this is serious. I'm not yeah. gonna mess with that. Yeah. Um, and n number two, there's also the price tag. Price tag mm. helps a lot. The people mm -hmm. that buy the experience, they're open to it. They want to commit to it. Um, although that's not particularly necessary because in Where Thoughts Go Resolutions, which was a free experience I released, you know, over New Year's. Yeah. It's free, but al almost no trolling. So it does play a role, but it's not super prevalent. And I think the last one is like that. There's no, there's no feedback mechanism. So if you troll someone, like <laughs> you, you never say something mean. Yeah. You you can't see you can't see the effects of trolling. Yeah. So it becomes almost like a meaningless, meaningless, purposeless act of you just like screaming into the void, in which you're literally <laughs> wasting your time by opening up the application, going through the process just to troll. It's like it's a lot of overhead for to cause an effect that you can't even see. Yeah. So um, it wastes the troll's time if somebody feels compelled to troll um, <laughs> to the point that it's like it's not ra it's not a rational decision for them. It's like it's there's better places a troll can get you know stronger emotions out of people, and that that's ultimately what trolling is about. It's about getting that reaction and seeing it so you can feel recognize so it can feel like you exist. <laughs> I like wonder if there's a if the, if there's if there's a future future game mechanic that can that can that can feed off of the emotion that trolls receive from not not that we want to encourage that type of behavior, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean what trolls want is that they want to feel acknowledged. They want to feel like people, you know, notice that they exist and once you understand the foundations of a troll, you can design things that fill that need in some other ways. Yeah. Or you can design experiences in which the particular high thereafter, um, the particular negative, you know, kind of high thereafter, is just a really hard to achieve or impossible to achieve, which is in the case of where thoughts go. Um, <laughs> I also used to be a troll in my teens, so <laughs> it, it does help a lot. Uh -huh. I can mindset of like knowing the psychology. As making, yeah, as I'm making things, I'm consistently thinking about like how would I ruin this? And <laughs> it's it's it, it keeps you in check, and it also you know it's. I think troll consulting should probably be a thing. <laughs> like it should be a legitimate job. <laughs> well, I I can tell you that I mean yeah, going back to I guess. Uh, the the positive peer pressure that you receive from the game when you're when you're listening to other people's stories, I mean I, some of the like, some of some of the stories that you hear from people are just so, so touching and 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 so deep that it almost puts your own like I there were a few times where I would listen to so many of them, to where when it came time to me to record my own, I would start recording and then think like, ah, that didn't come out right. Like I need to, I need, I, I need to think a little bit more about this before I, before I talk or like, like funny things like that, where like, I know everyone's just being super candid and honest with, with their answers to, to the questions that you pose. But 
I mean, legitimately, some of the answers that I would listen to were just like profound and 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 so inspiring in their their own ways. So, it's it's interesting just what you're able to get out of people when when you pose the right questions to them. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that I noticed. Just like I, I, I know I know the game is is focused on creating narrative through through. Uh, through through users themselves telling their own stories and it's just like I said uh, some of the narratives that I listen to in the game that I know are are kind of spontaneous reactions from people uh, they're they're more interesting and, and, and more uh, nuanced and detailed than I think you know any any story that you could just create on your own yeah uh, I initially when I made it I was I had no idea what the outcome was going to be. I was actually really afraid that people would like either, you know, feel compelled to troll immediately or that they would just give, you know, very short yes or no kind of answers to things like that are that have no depth or or anything, but um it was really surprising to see the level of depth and the level of openness and what I noticed that the people that need someone to talk to the most are the mm-hmm. people that seem to create like the most heartfelt pieces of content because they mm-hmm. really use the experience as a way to, um, you know, to talk about things that they sometimes can't talk about mm-hmm. with, with most people in real life, in the real life. And it's mm. actually incredibly emotionally taxing for me to listen to those things um, yeah. after a while. Cause it's just, it, yeah, you, you just start to carry the emotional burden of all these people with you. Although I do think it's a positive thing and that it's, you know, the, the fact that people are voicing these things. Um, but I guess it does take a toll on me as well. After several months of listening, yeah. I'm like, I guess it becomes more sad. Aww. But as long as I can make better art, I'm fine with it. But yeah, it's, it's cool to see something that resonates with people in such a strong way. And also that doesn't resonate with everyone. There's people who are bored out of their minds huh. when they play Where Thoughts Go. But I think that's one of the, uh, I think that's also a big signifier of interesting art. It's something that, you know, it's causes a really, really strong reaction in a certain group of people. Mm-hmm. And with an, another group, which just like does nothing. Um, I think that probably means that you hit on, on a very particular new note hmm. and, no, that's yeah, really two two things. Like, yeah, just that that came up there uh, when you were speaking. One is that not only are people able to uh, voice a lot of these thoughts and and feelings that they've had uh, based on the questions that you're posing and where thoughts go, but also just think about those questions because I think uh, you could you could. I mean, I know myself. Like some of the questions, they're like I, I really had to think about how I was going to answer them before I I started speaking because they're not always topics that we we tend to think about all the time and 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 I could I could definitely hear those types of reactions from people as well like almost you know a surprise from the question itself because they hadn't really thought about something like that before and then and then the other thing that I thought was really kind of I mean because you talk about sadness something that was inspiring to me um, near the end of 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 my playthrough was the fact that there were so many people um, again, not to give spoilers, but um, in in relation to death, uh, like you had mentioned previously, um, a lot of people were really positive about 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 their answers to that last question. That 
that yes and and that was that was actually i mean like i mean it could have went either way i'm sure there's a lot of like negative answers too but there were there were for me there were overwhelmingly positive uh answers to mm-hmm. that question so that was really yeah yeah it was it was a really uplifting moment for me when i was playing i i was surprised cuz I, I was expecting the opposite um and but yeah people just you know they always surprise you when when you actually you know put them in when you put people front and center front and center um, this thing also happened with where thoughts go resolutions is that you know the first question is like i, I basically asked people um to the, you know, describe an event that happened to you this year, hmm. something that was important that happened to you. And I thought people were going to share mostly positive things, hmm. but man, it was the opposite. Oh, like man. people were talking about betrayal and breakups and death. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, but it's, but it's mostly because, you know, people, they went through some shit in 2018 Yeah, and it's stuff they, don't get to talk about a lot and that really affected them. And, you know, the moment you give people a platform huh. to talk about those things, you know, they, they took it, they used it and they, yeah, it's, it's human truth. Man. Just right there. Man. Well, yeah. I mean, for those who, like I said, haven't checked out, uh, where thoughts go, the, the prologue, um, it's out on all of the major plat- VR platforms for, for nine ninety nine, And then, like Lucas mentioned, you can also check out Resolutions, which is uh, the uh, a free experience that anyone can can go and check out if you have an have have an HMD. Um, both highly recommended by by us, and and definitely something that I think you should at least check out. And 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 like he was saying, if it's not something that you're into, then it is what it is. But I mean, for me, it was definitely something that, like like I said, as as soon as I saw the 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 initial question. I knew that this was going to be different than anything I had played before. So I, I think I think it's definitely something that everybody needs to check out. How do you say it? Do you say just where thoughts go and just leave it at that? Or So I, I actually initially named it Where Thoughts Go Prologue because I wanted, like I had much bigger ideas for it okay. um, of what I wanted it to be. But, you know, as, as usual, um, usually you start these projects with a really, really, really large idea and then you face reality and your own limitations and you're like, okay, maybe maybe I should do something smaller. So I called it Prologue, but I'm actually changing the name to Where Thoughts Go, pure and simple. Okay. Um, which is, yeah, which is a funny thing that happened. So you can call it Where Thoughts Go. You can call it Where Thoughts Go Prologue. It's okay. listed on the store. Yeah. As so Prologue for now. Okay. So at any rate, you know, Where Thoughts Go, it's, it came out... Uh, was it in November of 2018? I believe it was. It was November in 2018. Okay. That, that was after the film festival tour it did. Um, it premiered originally at the, Tri- the Tribeca, the Tribeca Film Festival, in mm-hmm. April of 2018. Okay. And then yeah, released publicly later in the year. Okay, awesome. And yeah, so for those who haven't checked it out yet, it it's definitely something that you need to try. Uh, it's available, you know, Steam, Viveport, I believe, Oculus, like all the major, you know, high-end VR platforms and. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a a very unique and really really thought provoking uh, VR experience. It's just one of, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of anything that I've tried in VR that's that's quite like it at all. And it, you know, a lot of VR titles you feel kind of like you're alone, you know, 
with yourself and the game and 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 where thoughts go is very different than that in terms of uh the characters in the game aren't so much uh you know npcs or like ai or anything like that it's really recordings from past players that are answering questions that uh that the game or or the experience uh proposes to to its to the users so it's it's really fascinating and i want to hear you know more about i guess what what led you to that but before before we talk about where thoughts go more specifically mm-hmm. lucas i i just wanted to talk a, b- a little bit about you if you if you wanted to to you know get into kind of how you got into vr how you got in development in general and and i guess how you got here oh okay so um, i have a very unconventional background mostly because uh, i was i've been non-technical for most of my life i learned coding over the past two and a half years Okay. And um, I actually lived in Brazil, and I did something completely different. I worked, no, I had my own event company, and I threw parties for a living in Brazil, huh. which in, re- in retrospect, it feels like it's immersive events, but, you know, in the physical realm. You mm. design physical places for people to be in and interact. Um, and I was looking for something that got me, uh, I was, you know, I wanted to switch my industry mainly because I wanted to do things that were, bigger and had the impact and had the potential to affect people globally and doing small events wasn't that. And I've been eyeing VR ever since the Kickstarter, uh, the Oculus Kickstarter in 2012. Mm -hmm. But it was always something that felt like it's beyond me. Like it's, it's the tech industry. I can't get into that. That's not who I am. You know, I like art. I like filmmaking. I like these other things that have nothing to do with tech. Mm-hmm. But eventually, I got to a point in which I saw the stuff that people were doing with VR, and it was actually quite weird and mm-hmm. artistic. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it eventually, like the interest started to bubble up on me, and until I got to a point in which I was like, "I'm gonna try to do that." So I just abandoned everything I had in Brazil, moved to New York, and started to, you know, learn tech skills and. Um, um, I actually tried VR for the first time in 2016. It was the Val, um, Valve's The Lab. Mm-hmm. And I, first time I tried it, I was crying with excitement. Wow. It just made me feel something really new and really powerful. And I guess this is what I chase with all of my projects, is to create a new emotional high to make you feel something new. And what, I think whenever tech allows you to feel something new, it's giving you a new way of understanding the world. Um, I think it's increasing like the general depth you have in your life. So that's and basically it, what I do now. I it, chase those highs. Yeah, to, 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 I guess, hone in on that a little bit, because I know some of the highs that I personally experienced when I played, you know, Where Thoughts Go and, and some of the more recent. But like when you tried VR for the first time and you, and you tried the lab, I mean, what was it that was just... Like, I mean, I, I remember my first experience with it, but I, I was just kind of, if you could pinpoint kind of what that feeling was when you first tried it. And did you have any idea that you were going to react that way? Oh, I was just like overwhelmed sensorially. It's just like all these things were happening and I didn't really know how to feel about it because it was just, it was just a lot happening Yeah. um, at the same time. And it's, I think like the first thing I did is that I started to look under desks and I found like gum (laughs) in one of them, which was like really cool. Yeah. I don't know why that stuck with me, but it's, I was just overwhelmed, really. It's, it's I guess funny I because just... it's, 
Yeah, like when I think of the 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 most fun I've had in VR, like the especially the first experiences, it's always the stuff that like no one could have imagined that the users were going to be fixated on. Like like I remember the first night I had my Vive, I was just like sitting on the floor floor and just like looking up at the sky and just like laying there for a while, like just like mm-hmm. just absorbing the fact that I was in another environment and like up until that point I just had never felt anything like that where you put something on your on your head and all of a sudden you're transported and you're not even like just that concept of you put the headset on and you're in this crazy place and then you take the headset off and you're back in your apartment and it's like the middle of the night and I don't know there's just something really magical about that that it felt like if it makes you feel like anything's possible yeah, to me, it was like the sheer realization that this is a new, it's the new medium. This is a new way of designing everything. And it's, I guess, my head was just like bubbling up with the possibilities and the kinds of things you can do with it. But I'm, I'm also, you know, I've been a gamer for most of my life as well. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of, lots of interest in film and storytelling. So I guess all those things were converging in my head at the same time. And I was wondering, like, what else can you do with this? Um Man, so, so it took me a while to build the confidence to do VR. <laughs> yeah, no, I was gonna say because that's the next step. Like, so when you decided to make this 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 bold new you know choice and 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 leave Brazil and and figure something out that's that's brand new to you. I mean, what was that like? I mean, how how did you? What were your first steps to figuring out the technical side of things? So, every like, what I was doing is that I was trying to find something that accept that like working in an industry that I could see myself working in a decade from now. Yeah. And that's what I saw in VR and AR. And it's, I think, you know, as initially I was just trying to learn basic coding. So just like doing web development and a little bit of Android development, just trying to get my feet wet. And, and in terms of like, how do, you know, how do I interact with this world? How difficult is it? What does n- learning coding allow me to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as as I did that, and you, you sort of dismystify the hardships behind coding, and then you realize that it's actually like not that hard. After you've been doing it for six months, you start to, you know, see the patterns, and you, you start to understand that it's just a skill. It's just something that you have to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew more and more confident, and. I think the one thing that actually affected me a lot is when, is when I realized that everyone in VR and AR, when I started going to meetups and hackathons, that no one really knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So I felt comfortable not knowing what I was doing either because mm-hmm. it was an industry-wide feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, for someone who deals a lot with imposter syndrome, I think that's probably mm-hmm. one, of the most, one of the most gratifying um, realizations you can have is being in an industry in which it's so new that everyone's kind of clueless. So it's the perfect opportunity for, for a clueless guy to get in, into the mix and you know try to bring his own perspective into tech. And yeah, ultimately, you know, I started going to hackathons and building two-day projects with a bunch of strangers in VR that you know allowed me to test the stuff that I was learning. Um, I was learning at home in, in, in like in a real environment. Mm-hmm. And I then like it, I started to do small projects with the Microsoft HoloLens and I made every new project a little bit bigger than the last. And that's when I started to be confident enough to try to infuse my personality hmm. into the projects that I make. And 
where thoughts go, I think is at its core, it's like it's my worldview packaged in this, you know, interactive experience software game. Um, and now I'm trying to do more of it and do things that are even more difficult. And that's terrifying. But well, I think it will work out. Yeah, no, no. Talk a little bit more about that. I, I guess just in terms of like when you, uh, what's it like trying to find a way to kind of put yourself into the projects you're working on? Like with Where Thoughts Go, like how did that, how did that idea spawn and how did you kind of make it your own once you, once you had that goal in mind? Mm. So when I was a, when, when I was attending hackathons, one thing that I was doing consistently is that I was trying to create a startup in every single hackathon. We would try to create a product that was useful, that would solve all these problems and could be this huge thing. And eventually, I grew a little bit tired of it because all the projects were kind of like boring. Mm. And I set up a new rule that I'm like, from this day on, I'm only going to build things that I'm really excited about and I'm not going to care mm. how useful they are. And when I started doing that, the quality of my projects just, it just became much more interesting. They became more fun to work on. Uh, people got stronger reactions out of it. It was more original. It was more, it, it was, a, it, it was more authentic. Um, so I started to do that with my own projects and eventually, you know, I built up the courage to do where thoughts go. And it, essentially what I was trying to do with that piece is like, instead of relying on things like artificial intelligence and you know old tricks to drive a narrative like what if how can we create a narrative that's driven by people and how can we create use virtual reality to create new ways to structure conversation and social interaction and how can we get people to be open and intimate and vulnerable and can you use virtual reality to make people better people to create a virtual world in which everyone's just nicer to each other mm -hmm. um, it's like all those questions just started to come together in my mind. And at one hackathon, I made a very, very rough application in which people would just, uh, it, it was just a virtual world full with these bubbles that were random recordings um, from other people in the hackathon. Mm -hmm. You didn't even record those in VR because it didn't know how to do that. It was mm -hmm. just one of the members in our group just walked around the event with the, his phone and he would just have people say random things. <laughs> and we just put that in the game. And upon playing it, I just felt something. And it was a new feeling. And wh wherever there's a new feeling, there's a new way of understanding the world. So that just burrowed in my mind. And you know, through a lot of reiteration, it ended up becoming where thoughts go. That's, no, that's, that's amazing. I mean, it, yeah, hackathons in general. I mean, it, te it seems like a lot of really cool ideas come out of them. I know you were at like the MIT hackathon recently, correct? Like, yes. How important is that in terms of like if someone's like new trying to, to, to learn how to code, get into VR, like how, how easy and how important is it to go to these types of events? I think it's extremely important. It was for me, mainly because it's a low pressure environment for you to create things to learn and not only learn technical skills, but know how to work with teams and also learn how to scope projects. Like by doing lots of hackathons, you start to realize like, what are the ideas that are unreasonably large and what are the ideas that can be executed within the span of two days? Mm -hmm. So it gives you a really, um, it, it really helps you evolve 
your you know technical skills, but also your ability to understand scope, mm -hmm. which is essential when you start doing larger projects. And, and it's something that I'm still working on, and I think mm -hmm. everyone is. Mm -hmm. um, hence, you know, where I thought scope prologue. <laughs> it, it originally was this really, really large thing, um, but then I, you know, as I was developing, I was like, oh, okay, things are a little bit harder than I anticipated. And yeah. I think hackathons teach you a lot of that, and um, if they they teach you a lot of things, they build up, they give you, um, they build up your confidence when it comes to tackling projects because you start to get a sense of how long things take to make, and they save you a lot of pain down the road. Because whenever you have an idea, you can very quickly in your head be like, this is something I can do. This is something I can do with this time and money. And this mm -hmm. is something I can't do. And, and, and when, you, when you developed Where Thoughts Go, like, so it, it, you know, the idea spawned from a hackathon and you had you know, figured out that this was something that you could tackle. Um, what, what then led you to the next step of showing it at Tribeca and showing it to like a wider perhaps more non-gaming audience rather than uh, just focusing on just trying to get it out on Steam right away or something like that? Like, what was your thought process mm -hmm. in terms of how you, like, the, the stages at which Where Thoughts Go has gone since you first developed it? So just to clarify, Where Thoughts Go, like, the original concept in my mind, it was actually a phone app. Okay. And I ended up doing it at the hackathon because there were no Android developers available, and I ended up doing it in Unity, and it just worked out. So there's also, uh, you know, that, that kind of bit of happy accidents okay. um, that, that happen. Um, and, yeah, it works much better in VR. It would never have worked in on, on a mobile phone. Mm. But when it comes to the film festival circuit, it was actually also another happy accident. I happened to be... I didn't know those things existed, that mm -hmm. film festivals accepted weird interactive <laughs> VR art. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that until I went to a Unity conference in 2017. And there was, there was a panel from Sundance, the film festival, and they were talking about this, that they, you know, they wanted things that were weird and that had no prior reference to and that they wanted to, you know, expand storytelling um, in virtual reality. And when I saw that, you know, I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. I didn't end up going in that direction in my life due to a number of, of events. Mm. And I saw the possibility of maybe going back into those roots mm. through interactive VR. And so I asked them, like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Does this sound like something I'd be interested on? And they said yes. So um, Where Thoughts Go was a very early concept, and I didn't even think of it as a, as a narrative, per mm -hmm. se. Mm -hmm. But once I, once I left that panel, I started to think, like, how can I get this concept and turn it into a story? Hmm. And I built a lot of it over, over that summer, and that ended up the thing that I submitted to Tribeca and um, got accepted for. But it's, it's, it's actually, you know, in retrospect, I think it was a really solid strategic decision, mm -hmm. even if I wasn't doing it, um, if, even if I wasn't fully conscious of it. Mm -hmm. There's something about positioning your indie game as high art mm -hmm. that helps you a lot in mm -hmm. all areas of the development process, from funding to building credibility to getting people to play it. Mm -hmm. So um, actually, if, if I release this on Oculus and Steam, like on, on my own without the film festival run, I think I'd be getting... Um, I would have lost a lot... I think that the, the film festival circuit gave me 
a ton of credibility mm -hmm. and a ton of hype and a ton of interest mm -hmm. than I, that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Mm -hmm. And it did help me, um, you know, it did set me up to do this next set of projects. And ultimately, it's still like an indie production. It was just positioned mm -hmm. as this high art form of interactive storytelling. No, and, and I and I yeah. doing. No, and I can see why it was successful on on that circuit. Just because I mean, a lot of what you're pulling on is are emotional strings and emotional cues that like you know whether someone has a background in games or not, whether they've tried VR or not. These are all things that will ring true with anyone that plays the game, you know, whether they have a background in it or not. So so I could see how you know getting the the you know uh, kind of a wider you know interest buzzing around the product would then make it that much more exciting for people that have been hearing about it, you know, that can finally try it, you know, on their Vive or their, their Rift or, and that, that's really interesting. I, I thought it was kind of interesting that you mentioned the, the, the narrative side of things that you hadn't really necessarily thought about the, 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 the game from that perspective before you decided to, you know, bring it to Tribeca because yeah, like a lot of the things I was reading about the game, uh, you know, we're focused on on the narrative aspect and talking about how um, you had developed it that way. And yeah, I I think it's interesting that it, that the game was kind of pieced together like first from uh, you know a mobile hackathon project to you know bringing it to VR, bringing the more narrative. As it seems like every step of the way that you were working on it, you were able to to add a, a, another nuance or element to what you were working on, and and. And, and, and I would imagine that all those experiences are probably helping you with figuring out uh, how to, like, I guess, uh, create your own workflow for future projects as well. Um, like, mm -hmm. how is all of this, the, how have the experiences, because this is, I, I'm assuming that is, is where thoughts go. Like, I know you said you, you had worked on uh, various smaller projects on, on the HoloLens and, and other, you know, AR, VR type stuff, but... Is where thoughts go really the first like project that you that you took from beginning to end like this? Um, is is this like so, your first big project or? Yeah, I, I'd say it's just the first thing that I'm like. I'd say it's my first major project. Okay. I've done you know educational apps for the Microsoft Hololens. I've done a, a game that I released there as well, and I've done you know tons of little hackathon projects. So I have published apps before. I think mm -hmm. prior to Where Thoughts Go, it was two apps that I worked all the way until and, and actually published, even though there were like tons of projects that I've made and didn't publish. Mm. Um, but I'd say it's it's the main it's the main project I've done, and it's the one that I'm like the most not 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 just proud of, but it's like I can take it to people and say this is me. Yeah. You know, if it really feels like an extension of myself, whereas in the other projects, they were like just me practicing um, development, even though there were like sprinkles of me, huh. it wasn't like me. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. So where do you go from, from, from here as far as like, because I know you, you had initially thought of this as a prologue and now you're kind of, you know, perhaps changing some of those plans. Like it, what what are you... What are you like? How how do you replicate that? I, I'm just thinking in my head, like as far as like you were you were so successful in 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 putting a piece of you into this into this this project. Um, what's 
what are the how what are the next ways in which you're going to to kind of try to do that in the future so just just to comment on the thing you said about the process that this went from like you know being the concept of a mobile app into this VR hackathon project into this narrative um, I'm very responsive to my surroundings and the way that I design things is essentially is um, I just follow the emotional highs. So if something makes me feel something strong, then mm -hmm. I try to hone down on that and find out how far can I push this mm. and what can I build around this particular set of emotions. Mm. So with, with Where Thoughts Go, it was like, okay, this makes me feel very strongly. How far can I push this? And okay, now I created this more nuanced emotion. How can I place it in a narrative context? And which you know, which is a very messy process, but I think it's when in an industry that's so undefined, mm -hmm. like virtual and augmented reality, mm -hmm. I think following emotions is probably the best way to stumble upon new things. Because mm. um, I'm not really, you know, I'm not looking for old structures of narrative and mm -hmm. I'm not looking at other things to be the, to be the driving force of my creative process. It's just like, mm -hmm. does this make you feel something? If it does, then it probably, there's probably something valuable hidden that needs to be covered. Mm -hmm. So in the future, what I'm trying to do right now is just this, is to try to find new things that make people feel very strong new feelings and try to um, hone down on that, find out what those things are, and use it as a building blocks of the next project. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm working on a virtual reality comedy. Hmm. It's very weird. And mostly because I think comedy has been very underexplored. Mm -hmm. and people keep telling me that it's really hard, so I mm -hmm. want to do it. <laughs> and But yeah, following the same principle, like finding something that's really, really conceptually simple uh -huh. but has a really, really strong emotional output. And I think Where Thoughts Go fits that description. It's very simple, yeah. but it allows for all that emotional depth out of that simplicity. Um, and it also helps when you're relatively new at coding. You want to make simple things, right? Yeah. So, you try no. to focus on making a concept with a lot of um, roadway. No, and, and, and I mean, yeah, on one hand, uh, you know, where thoughts go is super simple as far as, like, you know, just, like, the game. Like, yeah, it's, it's limited in scope, but that's kind of why it's able to hone in on the emotions of, of what, you know, the, the questions that you're, you're forced to deal with and, and, and the perspectives that you're listening to and all of that, I think, you know, become the... the the real focus because there's, you know, everything else is kind of window dressing or, you know, ambiance for you to kind of focus on what matters. Um, but then, but then, I mean, clearly there's some of what was going on in that game that, I mean, at least for a non-technical person, I was thinking this seems kind of complicated. Like, uh, like the fact that it was recording, uh, what I was saying and, and making sure that what I was saying was kept anonymous and all that kind of stuff. And, like I, I know that you went to you know lengths to make sure that all of those recordings were handled properly and that you know everyone's you know yeah that you could feel safe in in the space of of where thoughts go as far as expressing you know your opinions and that all of that sort of thing. Um, what mm -hmm. was it like, kind of trying to find a way as a new develop like a, as a new coder to tackle some of those types of problems? And and I would imagine like as I I know you said you know, 
there's a lot of people in the industry right now that are all trying to find their way. And so that was, that was one thing that kind of makes you, makes you feel a little bit more at ease, but yeah, maybe talk about, um, what it's like in a project like this when you, when, when you think things are, are going fairly easy and then, and then all of a sudden maybe one of your ideas, uh, be, does seem like it's more complicated than you initially thought it was going to be. And, and, and how do you mm-hmm. get over that hurdle? Yeah, so all of my projects that go through, it's um, they're like a pendulum in the beginning. So first, they, you know, they, they sway to one side, and that's the most ambitious idea I could ever have come up with. I'm like, I'm going to do it. I can do it. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. And then I start to see what it would actually entail, mm. and the pendulum swings to the other side. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, i got to make the smallest thing possible and it just keeps doing that both ways. It's like it keeps going in like in, from this manic state of this is going to be the biggest thing in the world to a more to like an overly pessimistic view of the project. And it falls somewhere in the middle hmm. um, at, at the end in which is like you, you start to leverage your ambitions and your actual skill sets to make something that um, that you can make that may not be your initial ambition. But what I've learned is like if the idea is good enough, then even if you can only build 10% of it, it's still, uh, it will still be compelling. Mm. And I think this is what Where Thoughts Go Prologue ended up being. It's like, it's just a fraction of what I actually wanted to make, mm-hmm. but the concept was so solid that that fraction was still compelling. Mm-hmm. And I think this applies to most things. Um, and you know, when you're new, you, you, you have to leverage your ambitions. And mm. if what you're working on is still engaging, even when you cut out a lot of the project, then it probably means that it's worth doing. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's that's like one one of the things. But it's um, I'm also a big proponent of just turning limitations into strengths. Mm-hmm. So you know when where that's go was was in, in the, it's it's in its initial stages. A lot of people were complaining that virtual reality was isolationist. You mm-hmm. know that it disconnects you from the world. Mm-hmm. So why not create an experience that can only be enjoyed if you're cut off from the world? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So turning that limitation into a strength. And in the case of where thoughts go, it's like technically, you know, it's, it's, it's a little complicated to handle user accounts and to, um, to handle that entire, you know, identification process. Um, but if, no, you, if, if there's no accounts and all messages are anonymous, it's actually technically much easier to build hmm. and narratively wise it's like for, from the perspective of the experience it's actually much more powerful mm-hmm. so i just like i'm doing way less work and i'm creating a much stronger um you know emotional outcome so i think there's a lot of that as well of like every time you know turning your limitations into strengths and i think if you take that approach it it scales really nicely and it makes it look like it was your intention mm-hmm. all this time, mm-hmm. which is the best part about it. So, <laughs> really well done, but it's like you're just leveraging your own limitations in, in the end. But um, yeah, trying to find that middle ground be- between what the project wants to be, what you can make, and finding the mid- middle midpoint in which they both agree and you make something that's like really nice and cohesive. Huh. No, Does that makes sense. Yeah, and it makes total sense, and it's really insightful. Like, not only for developing VR titles, but I think in order just having ambitions and working on 
pretty much anything. I think all of the, all of what you just said, I think would would help anybody get to hopefully better, better, better successful, you know, ends. So yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's what I think uh, like elegant um, VR design looks like. Yeah. It's, It's conceptually simple. It's actually easier to build and more complex solutions, and it mm-hmm. has a stronger emotional output, mm-hmm. which is why I'm a little bit weirded out by you know there's a lot of people in the storytelling realm that are putting all bets on like advanced AI as mm-hmm. the main form of like future storytelling, but it sounds to me like a very complicated solution mm-hmm. that could be approached in these more conceptual, simple mm-hmm. um, ways rather than you know build crazy AI infrastructure to power narrative. Yeah. Um, I think there's better, more elegant, small ways of creating really strong emotion. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I mean, my experiences ring true, ring, make that true as far as like this, the, the, the games and the experiences that I, that have impacted me the most, they're usually just the ones that hit me. Yeah. Uh, from an emotional standpoint, things that are memorable and unique and, 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 and you know, give you a, a, a new emotion that maybe you've never experienced before in a type of medium. I, I feel like too many people are, are chasing a lot of these uh, like concepts and production values and all of that from more traditional games. And I'm not sure that like, yeah, VR and AR and all of these different types of technologies, I, I guess allow you to connect with users in such a more direct manner that it, it seems like some of those, some of those things aren't necessary. Because yes, yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I agree. I think we're not like people are not really harnessing the power of of just like real the power of real people in stories, mm-hmm. and we're starting to see more of it. Like with you know the under um, by Tender Claws, which was unveiled at Sundance. Hmm. Like immersive theater is going to start to be a thing this year, mostly because people are starting to realize like all of these things real people can bring to the table that AI cannot, um, and, but yeah, sorry, I, I actually interrupted you. No, 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 that's fine, and actually, I, I'm not aware of, of, of the project you just mentioned, so I, I don't know, and, and in general, like, the idea of, uh, when you say interactive theater, like, can you expound on that a little bit more, as far as, like, uh, what interactive theater is currently? And... Cool, so, so immersive theater is something that's been going on for quite a while. These are, like, usually on-site locations in which you, you know, you walk into a building and you're basically part of a narrative. It's like a theater, it's like a theater piece that happens around you and you're like one of the center points of it. Okay. So you get to interact with actors in real time, real people, and you get to see the story unfold in front of you. And it's super personal because, you know, actors are like looking at you, you talk to them, sometimes you like, you know, sometimes they touch you and vice versa. Yeah. And it's, it's an art that's been, you know, it's it's less well known because it's usually a little bit more expensive because it involves a lot of mm. people and infrastructure, and it's not like a stage w- with an audience of like 300 people. It's more intimate and personal. Sure. But a lot of people have been looking at how do you translate that kind of experience into virtual reality. Huh. So using it's basically it's virtual reality narratives with real live actors that are connected to your experience. So they kind of like these actors drive you through the narrative instead of an AR character or a scripted section. So you get to add that element of improv and that real back to back 
-hmm. human interaction um, as a key part of the story. And the first one that we're going to be seeing, you know, it releasing in virtual reality is going to be The Under by Tenderclaws and Oculus Studios. It's a partnership, okay. and it's going to be coming out on the Oculus Quest later this year. And it's going to be the first example of, of a VR narrative in which you pay tickets for, and you go into this world, which is populated by AI characters, recordings, as well as real actors, huh. which are acting their own home. And I think it's a really solid example of like leveraging human complexity mm -hmm. and social interactions to create the kinds of stories that we couldn't create in traditional games. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, because that, that I mean, in all honesty, like in in a lot of the game, the 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 VR titles I'm playing I'm playing around with now, like uh, narrative in general and characters are something that I think more and more devs are interested in integrating into their games because, you know, I, I'd say a year or two ago it was more about just general mechanics and concepts, and now, uh, you know, developers are trying to kind of throw their weight towards. You know, more narrative, more characters, like I said, all of that. But but one of the things that I think becomes magnified when you're in VR is the fact that a lot of these characters, like the animation is 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 limited. Uh, the characters are, you know, on, on kind of rudimentary, you know, tracks and, and different paths and that sort of thing. And like, it just, all that stuff sticks out a lot more in VR because it's, you're, you're there, you're in it. And so you can tell that it's not real. And... I, I think mm -hmm. a lot of what you're speaking to kind of natural, I mean, it's obviously not without its, you know, it, it, it's going to take, you know, a lot of resources to, to make sure that actors are available and all that sort of thing. But um, it, it's such a more natural and more uh, effective way of, of getting char real character interaction within a game. And I, I think that sounds absolutely amazing. But I, I have no idea how the the payment structure would work or how you even like are, so they, do they have to hire those actors to, to, to play like a, like, I mean, to, to, to perform within the game, like for a certain amount of times or do you, do you know any, how that stuff would possibly work? So they haven't op been open about those parts. I'm yeah. pretty sure that they, I mean, of course they would, they need to keep it sustainable. Yeah. And I actually think that this is going to be the first major virtual reality job. It's going to okay. be acting. Huh. So as as those experiences you know start to grow in in size and amounts, I think from your own home you will be able to be a full time paid virtual reality actor. And huh. essentially, you just go you, you just put on your headset and you become one of those characters in those experiences. You take people through them, and at the end, you know it's similar to an Uber. They yeah. rate your performance and you get paid. No, that's um, that sounds. Of the ticket. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing in terms of like i could see that working so one of the first like kind of funny like vr social things that i had experienced was i think it was in rec room but i i was actually watching i think it was some kind of online stream and people were trying out rec room for the first time and mm -hmm. obviously like none of this was scripted they went into rec room and they were just kind of interacting with people there and there was some there was there was a player that was pretending to be a robot or something like that and he was just really really like hamming it up but very very like focused and determined to just stay in character the entire time this stream was happening and mm -hmm. something about that like it completely stole the show like that was like a hundred percent like the the funniest and like most entertaining thing about this whole rec room interaction was the fact that this guy was there like just like goofing off and 
Like it, it just, yeah, it's, it, that's one of the magic things about VR in terms of like being able to see real people and experience what it's like to be with real people in VR. So what, like everything you're explaining to me sounds like both super exciting, but also a very natural kind of extension of, of some of the things that I think are already happening in some of these social spaces. Yeah. And it has a business model. Yeah. Which is really rare in no, VR. No, super rare. Same with an actual sustainable, <laughs> uh, sustainable, it could be a sustainable practice. Um, huh. So yeah, I'm also trying to think how to make those as well. That sounds so I cool. In, I want to put some more thought into immersive theater before I make something. Because I think that right now, a lot of it is going to inspire itself heavily on one particular immersive theater experience that happens mm. in New York called okay. Sleep No More. Okay. I think a lot of it's, yeah, a lot of VR studios are going to be trying to re replicate that. Mm. And I want to do something different. But it's really exciting. And it's one of the things that I look forward to the most this year. Man, so, so, so as far as where the VR industry is going, I mean, could you speak a little bit about, like, uh, what are we missing right now as far as, like, what users are able to access on their headsets that you hope to... To, to see people be able to, 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 to benefit from on the hardware side of things, like, you know, in the, and software, I guess, for that matter. But like in the, in the coming years, like where, because obviously people, I mean, you hear kind of doom and gloom sometimes from people about like, well, is, is the VR industry kind of moving in the right direction? Is it where we thought it, want, it was going to be or where we want it to be? Like where, where do you th see things moving and where do you th think things need to move? Okay, so when it comes to hardware and software, where do I think things moving in the next couple of years? Yeah, and sorry if I'm getting, I'm just talking off the top of my head, so sometimes these questions come out. <laughs> no, no worries. So I'm excited about the Oculus Quest, of course. It's, it's finally, it's, it's low friction VR. It's VR as it, you know, as it was always intended to be. Um, I think it's going to increase a lot. I think it's going to increase the retention numbers a lot. Um, we'll have to see how it does financially and commercially. And it's a little bit scary that VR relies so much on the success of Oculus Quest's launch mm -hmm. for it to keep going. So it's a very pivotal moment, I think, right now. And it's the success of the Quest is going to define what the next five years look like. Um, and I am personally looking, really looking forward to the advent of hand tracking and eye tracking in virtual reality. I think those two things are big game changers, but I don't know how fast these will be implemented. Mm -hmm. Vive is putting eye tracking in their enterprise level hardware, mm -hmm. but let's, we have to see like how does that go into consumer. Mm -hmm. And I guess software wise, we just need things that are like built from the ground up, you know, for the medium, uh, things that are bold, unique, and leverage the strengths of VR in in you know in new and exciting ways, which I think is what where that's good as well and also the under which we were just talking about mm -hmm. it's getting something that could really only work well in virtual reality mm -hmm. and making it and i think those will be the kinds of products that will define the ecosystem and those will be the things that people will pay you know will pay for and that's the reason they would buy headsets mm -hmm. um even though stuff like zombie shooters and these more generic sort of titles can help initially mm -hmm. i think you really need those um, those titles that are really, really, really strong only in VR to drive the industry forward and to help define the ecosystem and the medium in the next yeah. decade. No, I, so, I agree. 
I mean, those are the types of things that I show people when I want to show them what VR is all about. It's all of these, 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 the, the, the types of experiences that are unique and that leverage the media. Like, I, I want people to experience things that they've never experienced before. I mean, yeah, my, my parents aren't really interested in shooting zombies. So, <laughs> or, mm -hmm. or uh, my parents are just one example, but you, you get what I'm saying in terms of, I think VR can, 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 it, you know, when done well, can, can reach all kinds of people, not just like a specific demographic. And I, I think, yeah, I, I hope that VR continues to expand its reach and really like, the, I hope we are able to get more and more experiences that uh, can, can bring in more and more people into the fold. Yes, and that's one of the reasons actually why I'm, I'm a big advocate for hand tracking and eye tracking. I think mm -hmm. once you have those things, you essentially have uh, like this is the input scheme for the next decade. It's it's voice, it's eyes, and it's hands. Once mm -hmm. you have those th those three things integrated, mm -hmm. it's it becomes a very accessible, uh, not only you know, content platform, but also a very accessible computing platform, mm -hmm. uh, which is what I'm really looking forward to in the next couple of years. It's, it's VR, you know putting its foot on the ground and, and saying, look, there's all this great content that can only be enjoyed in VR, mm -hmm. but also transitioning as it proves itself and transitioning into a larger computing platform and you know, leading the way for spatial and immersive computing, which is what I think the ultimate potential of VR is. It's not just you know, consuming this content, playing all these things, which, mm -hmm. which are insightful and fun and interesting, mm -hmm. but also you know, VR as a, as a larger computing platform that replaces everything, especially mm -hmm. when it mixes with AR, mixed reality, and all that good stuff. No, I agree. I mean, the fact that, that Facebook bought, bought Oculus, I think, is more to do with spatial computing and connecting people than it is really, like, you know, where, where we think, see things currently. So, I mean, obviously, even larger corporations see the potential for where VR and AR and all of these things can eventually go. So it's just up to, I guess, the steps that we take to get there and, and what that ends up looking like. I, I mean, me, me personally, I, 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 on one hand, I know that the, the health of the industry is really dependent on how some of these you know, future consumer products go. But on the other hand, if a technology is compelling and it's able to uh, provide so many of these benefits, I, I have to think that there's always going to be people out there that are interested in kind of seeing those technologies through to, you know, to their, to, to, to at least some of their potential. So hopefully, I don't know, hope, hopefully regardless of how some of these things go, that we'll see it sooner rather than later, you know, in the future. But mm -hmm. um, yes. I, I, everything takes money and resources, so I get that. So obviously the more, the more short-term success we have in the industry, uh, the more short-term you know, advances we're also going to achieve. But at the same time, I think that some of the stuff is inevitable in terms of this is where, where things are going, I think. Yes, and I think, you know, you have money and resources, but I also think uh, something that's just as important is a strong set of passionate outsiders mm -hmm. that can really come at this industry from, like, completely different places mm -hmm. and infuse it with, a little bit of madness and creativity mm -hmm. and, and passion. And I think that's where the most interesting things come from. Uh, VR right now is very multidisciplinary, even though 
you know, for the most part, you have people coming from a gaming background. You also yeah. have people coming from like these other walks of life. And I think, you know, they are the ones that create the most weird com and compelling work, mostly because they come from a completely different mindset. And I, you know, I think that's also very important. Um, just to inject a bit of madness in the whole thing. For people out there that maybe are just learning about VR or or have had ideas that maybe they want to get into VR development but are from another discipline and don't really know, you know, how how to do that. I mean, what what's the I guess the 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 simple advice you could give them to kind of, you know, get get their get their 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 engine started. Well, um, I so I'm a big advocate that um, of, of learning coding. You don't have to do it full-time mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. But I think understanding, uh, it's it ultimately, if you want to do VR and AR, you need to be able to talk to computers. And mm -hmm. just being able to understand what's going on and being able to communicate well with other you know, more technical-minded people mm -hmm. is, is already really important. And just, just learning a little bit of it also just lets you understand you know, what's difficult, what's easy, what's expensive, what's cheap, what's achievable, and what's not. And it, so I, I advocate that everyone really learns a little bit of coding, mostly you know, Unity development. There's plenty of resources online um, for you to get started. I learned it pretty much, pretty much everything on YouTube and through experimentation. Um, go to hackathons to apply that knowledge and to get exposed to new things, new people, new mindsets. Go to industry events. There's probably meetups in your area somewhere and conferences as well. That's when you start to really to see your hobby transform into, into something more real. And once you, you know, start to connect with these people and be part of the online conversation, be part of the discussions that are happening, you know, develop your own opinions on what you think should happen and what you think should exist. And eventually you're going to get to a point in which you can build a resemblance of what you think should exist. It's not going to be the full idea. It's mm -hmm. not going to be as great as you want it to be, but it's the beginning. And as long as it's, you build something, it sets the foundation for future things to come. So I say like, that's, that's my general set of tips for getting started and really don't, um, there's no need to be afraid because everyone is still clueless. <laughs> it, a lot of people that have a lot of money don't know what they're doing, and um, it's yeah, it's a it's a good time to get started. This is, and you know, be in it for the long haul. I I'm entering this industry with full knowledge that I'm probably going to have to um, spend a decade working mm -hmm. in it at the very least, and you know, it's 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 an environment that's going to be consistently changing, and I find that particularly exciting. The fact that every year. It's like you have new inputs, new devices, new ways of doing things. And that can be overwhelming to some people if you don't like change. Mm -hmm. But if you do like change, then it's like one of the best industries to be in because it's changing all the time. Mm -hmm. And that sparks new ideas and, and, and keeps you motivated. And uh, that's exactly what you're looking for in an industry like this, I think. Yeah, and opportunity. Because if, like, if the industry is pressing the reset button this often, it means that it's like, Everyone has to go back and reevaluate, like, okay, how do we do things now that we have this? So mm -hmm. there's like there's this constant reset process that's happening in VR and AR, which means there's a lot of opportunity for newcomers. Um, 
right now there's no there's not a lot of power hierarchies formed when you know when I go to Tribeca we were like the only self-funded project and it was something that I did while I was still in school um, and we were right next to you know the bigger project that costs like five million dollars to make mm -hmm. and that's because it's an even playing field right now so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's like one of the best times to start getting into it awesome well thank you so much again for talking to me about you know everything you've been working on as well as you know all of these things from the future like if if anyone wants to follow you i know you're very active on twitter uh what's the best way for for people out there to follow you and your projects Ooh, so just um just look me up on twitter lucas risotto and my handle is underscore lucas risotto also on facebook i have a facebook page and a youtube channel that i've been posting things on and off but i want to i'm going to be focusing more on it this year okay as i overcome my current fear of writing which is <laughs> which is the, the thing that i'm dealing with in 2019 um actually what's your relationship towards writing as a lawyer yeah um no i, I similar in terms of like i'm very used to writing technical uh technical works and different like briefs and all that uh, research all that kind of stuff i i'm a little bit more scared of creative writing and that even though mm -hmm. I always enjoy doing creative writing, um, that's something that I, I'm trying to get myself more used to doing because I, I do enjoy it, like I said, and I, I, I'm interested in telling stories and creating narratives and that sort of thing. And so I'm, I'm trying to teach myself to, to get into that more. I don't, know. I, yeah. I don't know if that's what you're, the type of writing that you're trying to get yourself into or not, but. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's. Writing is is the easiest way of creating, you know, complex, expensive worlds very quickly and very cheaply. Um, and it's it's actually another thing, you know, when it comes to limitations and to strengths. Like where thoughts go was also created because I was afraid of writing, so mm. I just wanted to create a narrative mm -hmm. in which people would would write the story instead of myself. <laughs> that's and a that's good way of getting out it, of some work. Yeah, <laughs> I know yeah, exactly and that's what, what you're it saying. Ended up being. It's yeah. like okay. People's stories are like way more interesting than anything I could have ever, ever possibly come up with or, yeah. or written. Um, so it helped me, you know, evade that fear for a little while. But now that I want to do a comedy and things that require creative writing, writing, I need to to face those things myself. Man, and as far as yeah, if picking something to kind of get your feet wet in, comedy is probably one of the yeah. So so I hear comedy is one of the hardest things to get right, right? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's the first thing I'm picking. It seems to be, um, I, I, I have a particular brand of dark humor that people keep saying that I have. So I think <laughs> I'm just trying to tap into that. And I've actually been writing with, um, every time I start writing, I just start playing like a solo drum track. And I try to <laughs> match the dialogue to the rhythm of, of the beat. And huh. I don't know, I'm learning new things. And that's what VR and AR is all about at the end. It's just trying to find new ways of doing old things. That's amazing. Well, I'm excited to try it once once you once you get that far along in the project. So, uh Thanks. I yeah, hope it doesn't I, suck. No, no, no. I, I I wish you the best of luck with with that and anything else that you work on in the future. So, I like I said, I really appreciate you taking the time to to speak with us here on the podcast. And in general, I I really appreciate the insight that you're giving for for new people out there. I mean, one of the 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 things that 
you know, we've been happiest about with our podcast is the fact that, especially when, you know, since we've been doing this since 2016 or so, uh, there were a lot of people that listened to us that uh, started out just as hobbyists and then eventually started developing their own games. And uh, there's, I know there's still tons of people out there that have, have aspirations of maybe eventually getting into the industry in some capacity. So um, I, I really appreciate it anytime someone can come on here and really give candid and, and, and honest advice to people, uh, especially someone like you that's kind of, you know, that's, that's, that's new and trying to figure out everything, but also someone that's, you know, been able to get some, some, some relatively great success and, and, and to be able to share that, those experiences with people to, to kind of help them through as well. Thanks. I really appreciate it. And I'm, you know, really a fan of the podcast and the work that you're doing. So I'm really glad to be here, to be here. All right. Awesome. It's really fun. Awesome. Well, we hope to, to talk to you again in the future and until then, um, take care. And, uh, for the listeners out there, we'll be back with another episode next week. 